the industry can expect to have real-time analytics and real-time insights as to what's happening in the rental market across the country. And to me, and I think it was pretty clear to Max as well, this was a massive knowledge gap in the industry. Hello, and welcome to Sink or Swim, a weekly podcast brought to you by RentSync, where we take a deep dive into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. In each episode, we uncover the technologies and strategies used to help overcome operational challenges and increase the value of your multifamily investments. So let's get into our conversation today. Welcome back to Sink or Swim. My name is Matt Hildebrand, Marketing Manager at RentSync, and I'll be stepping in for Nicolina today as your host. We have an exciting, jam-packed episode today. Joining me, very own RentSync CEO, Max Steinman, and Sean Hildebrand, President of Urbanation. Sean Hildebrand, no relation to me, just a coincidence. Max, Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. Great. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for letting me back on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Always, always. So before we really dive in, I'm going to throw it to Sean. Sean, why don't you tell us a bit about Urbanation and kind of what you do over there? Sure. So Urbanation is a research and consulting firm based here in Toronto. We were founded just over 40 years ago in 1981. Our firm's focus is on the high-rise apartment market across Ontario. We track all new construction condominium apartment projects, all new purpose-built rental apartment projects. We track the secondary rental market and and resale market uh, within the condo space. And our group publishes quarterly reports. We have an online database subscription service that is accessed by virtually all of the region's uh, real estate developers, lenders, policymakers, appraisers, brokerages. It's pretty diverse. And we, we, we put out our, our, our reports on a quarterly basis and also produce market feasibility studies for, for developers. So we, we get commissioned to do uh, site-specific market reports that ultimately provide recommendations on what should be built, what would be the right mix of units to build, target buyer, target renter, achievable revenues, and, and forecasted growth. We're a very busy uh, firm. We're not a large team, but we keep very busy and very much on top of all of the new development activity that's happening across the region. Yeah, it must be a really busy time right now. That's great. Thank you so much for that overview. So the real reason we have you both on today, we have an exciting new announcement. RentSync and Urban Nation have a new partnership, and we're here today to really dive into that. So Third to you, Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about this partnership, how it came together, and what it might look like for the consumers? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think it sort of naturally came together because Urban Nation and Sean and his team have this amazing sort of data powerhouse and and portal and subscription service with a really strong reputation in not just the GTA, but Canada in terms of, you know, who is is looking at this data and using it. And RentSync has, you know, this unbelievable war chest of data across the entire country. And, you know, RentSync is a little bit newer to data, you know, having rentals.ca uh, and RentFaster and all of the listing sites has afforded us this data, but we're not necessarily the foremost experts in data. And so naturally, partnering with a firm that has 40 years of experience and knowledge and such a well-built-out platform already just made a lot of sense. And so, yeah, so that's what we've done. We are sort of behind the scenes providing the raw rental market data. Urban Nation 
is processing that data, analyzing it, sort of productizing it. And we're both going to market with it. So it will be available through either team. And uh, if you're a RentSync client, you can subscribe to the service via your, your RentSync account rep. And if you're already an Urban Nation client, you can you know, maintain your relationship there and subscribe to the service as well. So really easy access as well for, for the market. So Sean, Max touched a bit there on subscriptions and reporting. What kind of reporting can clients and subscribers expect from this new partnership and how, would, how might it differ from what Urban Nation is already offering? It's a pretty um, significant expansion in terms of what we're currently reporting. Just going back to, to what Max was talking about, I think, I think we initially started talking about this probably over a year ago. We, we had a mutual appreciation for the lack of quality data on the rental market in, in Canada generally. You know, we were exploring the opportunity of, of taking this really treasure chest of, of data that, that RentSync has and expanding upon it and, and putting it into some sort of a, a database portal. And it, it was sort of a natural step from there to sort of discuss the next steps to, to launching what will be, uh, I think, a very, very powerful new tool. So as we sort of gear up for the rollout, I think what you can expect to see is coverage of basically the entire purpose-built rental market. Initially, rolled out for the GTA, GTA and Hamilton markets, but with plans to obviously take this nationwide. So currently, Urbanation, through our subscription portal, tracks new purpose-built rental buildings. So we, we survey through our relationships with, with builders and property managers, the newer stock of rentals that have been built in the last 15 years or so. I think we, we cover about just over 20,000 units in the marketplace. But there's over 350,000 rentals just in the GTA. So we're, we're only tracking, you know, a 6% share of the, of the overall market. What this new partnership will allow us to do is basically cover the entire market. So it's not just the newer stock. It's, you know, the older stock. It's the stock that's being renovated and invested in. I think really just, just, just creates broader knowledge and expertise as to what's happening across the rental market. So I think the types of reporting that you can expect to see would be some of the, the similar sort of metrics that we that we already produce, which would be you know average average monthly rents, average rents per square foot, availability rates. Because there is a historical database, we would also be looking at not only the current rents that are that are being achieved in today's market, but also you know what would be sort of the the current average for for a building for instance, based on all of the turnover that's happened over the last several years. So you can get a, a snapshot of, of not only current market rents, but existing uh, rents that tenants are, are, are currently paying. We'd be able to, to, to create some neat metrics on average days on market between, between leases. Availability rates, so the percentage of units and that are coming up for lease, and we can do that on a, on a neighborhood basis, a building basis, a unit type basis. And then using that data to track trends across time. So I think it's, it's going to be a pretty interesting way of looking at the market in that as of now, you've had you know, us tracking the newer stock of purpose-built rentals. And we also track condominium rentals, which are large, largely newer stock as well. And you have really beyond that, it was, it was sort of the CMHC data that would, that would be published annually, which would track all of the rental market, but do it at a very highly aggregated level. You'd have vacancy rates reported, you'd have average rents reported, but it wouldn't necessarily show you what the current market rents are for a, for a given area or, or a given building. So I think this does two things. It, it allows for a, a comprehensive reporting of current market rents. It does it on a much, much higher level of frequency, right? We're not 
waiting a year for the data and then getting the data published four or five months after it was actually collected. This is real-time data as it occurs. So the industry can expect to have real-time analytics and real-time insights as to what's happening in the rental market across the country. And to me, and I think it was pretty clear to Max as well, this was a massive knowledge gap in the industry. Reporting was very fragmented. You had reports from a whole bunch of different websites. I think Max's team has done a great job consolidating that. And again, we, we were very excited to be really the singular source of, of knowledge and understanding of what's happening in the rental market for um, not only Toronto, which is our home base, but eventually the rest of Canada as well. That's awesome. I can already hear the developers chomping at the bit. Max, what's the timeline for the rollout of this partnership and the platform and what locations are we going to start with and as we expand across Canada? Yeah, so as Sean mentioned, we're going to be starting with the GTA and Hamilton. We are expected to still hit our original timeline, which was for the new year, uh, I believe January. We'll have at least those two markets hopefully ready to go. And from there, we we hope that we can be rolling out new markets every three to six months. We're probably going to look to Ottawa next, potentially Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary. So starting with some of the major urban markets and sort of working our way down the population centers, we're getting to the biggest cities first. It will take time to get all the way across the country. and, And that's because there is such a focus on quality of data and the end product. You know, there are a lot of data products. I don't even want to say products, but tools accessible to the average property management company and builder and landlord out there. But they're very, very simple in nature. You know, we we really surveyed our clients before we got into this venture on what clients were looking for. And it wasn't just simple comp tools or simple pricing tools. They needed to have really strong confidence behind the data and be able to look at trending data, real-time, historical trends, existing rents. And because it's going to have all of those features and it's at such a high quality it takes time to roll out each market. So that is a little bit of a difference. We really pride ourselves on on what we're going to be bringing to market uh, in each market. So Perfect. Thank you for that. You guys covered a lot about the deal there. Um, it's very exciting. Sean, is there anything else you would like the people to know about this partnership? No, I think we've I think we've covered most of the main points. Most of the main points. So for anyone who wants to learn more about the partnership, make sure check out RentSync, check out Urbanation. Follow us on social media as we get closer to the rollout day. We'll be releasing more information and how you can get in touch with somebody and inquire about becoming a subscriber. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now let's get back to the show. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit. We've got two industry leaders in our midst. I wanted to ask you both about some of the trends we're seeing across the industry. As many people know, 2022 was one of the hottest, if not the hottest leasing season on record. But as of September, we began seeing a sharp decline in renter demand across the country. Sean, why don't you take us through what happened in 2022, maybe how we ended up here, and any of your thoughts on the leasing season? So the first half of 2022 was really sort of a recovery period. So rents declined through much of 2021. So 
it was really just sort of getting back to pre-pandemic levels through the first half of the year. I would say around June, July, we were back to the previous market highs, which was around the fall of 2019. And then from there, the market just took off. I think the summer period of 2022 was probably the hottest rental market that I've ever seen, at least coming through in the data. We saw rents surge by like 10 to 15% within a three to four month period. It was exceptional, exceptionally strong growth in a very short period of time. And I think this coincided with a couple of, of important things. For one, obviously, it was the, the, the timing of interest rate increases. So we, we saw a huge pullback in home buying activity beginning in April as interest rates uh, started to move higher. And, and, and obviously, that eroded affordability substantially, given how high housing prices were at that time and still are today, even though they've corrected a little bit. And if people aren't buying homes, they're, they're renting. So I think with, with not as many first-time buyers active in the market, you had really more renters chasing pretty much a stagnant supply of, of units. And so that put upward pressure uh, on the marketplace. At the same time, the summer is always the peak season for rental market activity every year. But this year, we had a flood of post-secondary students coming back into the city. So signing leases in advance of of, of, the, of the fall return to classes. And, and that just combined with the erosion and homeowner ownership affordability to create really unprecedented market conditions for rentals. In September, we started to see things taper off a little bit. We didn't see the same heated month over month growth in rents that we did during June, July, and August. I think the market took a little bit of a breather after rents surged so quickly. But Looking at the October data, even though you know demand uh, seems to have slowed vis-a-vis where it was in the summer, rents continue to trend higher. And that, that was pretty much the case right across the country. We're just putting the final touches on the rentals.ca network uh, uh, monthly report. It showed that rents are rising still at a double-digit pace on, on an annual basis, so up, up about 12% year-over-year for the country. Within Toronto, you have rents up by more than 20% from where they were at this time last year. And, you know, a a lot of the big markets across Canada are seeing similar types of growth. So, you know, these areas that are experiencing strong population growth, sharp erosion and homeownership affordability are seeing very strong rates of of rent inflation to the point now where if you look at the average rent in in, in a market like Toronto or, or Vancouver, you know, you're getting close to $3,000 a month in average rent. It's, 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 it's very expensive. And rents are growing basically at, at, at twice the pace of incomes. So it, it's creating an affordability challenge for the market. So, you know, when you're starting to see demand slow, it's, it's really because of resistance to, to current rents. You don't have as many people able to afford rent levels. There's not going to be as much leasing activity in the marketplace. And then you start to see more roommate situations, people moving into less expensive property types or less expensive areas of the market, similar to what we were, we were seeing in 2019. So th- these sort of trends are coming back again as the market reaches really unaffordable rent levels. It's beautiful to have an economist <laughs> with us because <laughs> I don't think I could have summarized that any better. But from the demand side, because we do monitor that quite carefully in terms of the number of rental prospect inquiries per property that per each property that has an available availability or available unit, we have seen a, a pretty sharp decline started in September, even sharper decline in October. Now, it's very difficult to look year over year at the numbers because of all the noise that the pandemic created. When we look even further back though, three, four years into the past, 
and we compare what is normal around this time of year because rental demand always drops off after the summer, usually through to the end of December and then picks up again slowly in January, February and really picks up in March. But this year around, we're seeing that demand fall off in excess of what was normal three, four years ago, pre-pandemic levels. And it was always pretty consistent. You'd sort of see a three-month trend, four-month trend into December after summer of 10, 15% decreases month over month in demand. But now it's a little bit higher, 18, 20% month over month decreases. And you'll see that in our demand report. I think it's being published actually today, but I guess this uh, podcast will be released a couple of weeks from now. So you'll have already seen it in our demand report. But yeah, I think that's mainly due to price exhaustion, as Sean sort of described, is, is when rents get this high, less, uh, fewer and fewer people can afford those rents and they look for other creative solutions. Maybe if it's a, a young renter, they stay at home another year, they make the decision to stay at home. Maybe if it's somebody with a roommate, they decide, okay, this is not the year that me and my roommate split off um, into our own units. You know, if it's an immigrant family, maybe they're deciding that they're going to rent with someone else or roommates or another immigrant family. And, and, and so we do start to see those sorts of behaviors in response to unbelievably steep price curve that we've seen. Right. So speaking of rental rates, Sean, is this increase in rent sustainable? No, it's, it's very abnormal for rents to rise in double digits. And, you know, when they're growing this much faster than incomes, it certainly isn't sustainable. It's interesting. When you, when you look at uh, rent growth in Toronto over the last 10 years, in nominal terms, it's, 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 it's been basically the same as the growth in renter household income. We've recently received new data through the census on renter households, effectively showing that renter household incomes have increased by 50% over the last 10 years. So it's been pretty strong. And that's basically the same level of rent growth that the market's experienced during the same period of time. But there comes a point where rents are rising faster than incomes that it, it begins to erode affordability, which is what I think we're hap- what is happening right now. What's difficult to sort of quantify, though, is the impact on incomes that fewer home buyers active in the ownership market are, are having on the rental market. So if you, you know, if you're if you're a, a higher income individual that would otherwise have bought a home, and let's say you're earning, you know, hundred thousand or hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and because of the increase in interest rates and how high prices are, you're no longer able to qualify to buy, or you're just adverse to buying because of, of the current market context, that's a higher income individual that's, that's, that's looking to rent. And, and they're going to probably not push their budget to the max, but they're going to want you know, higher quality property to some extent that's being serviced through new purpose-built rental apartments, but nowhere near to the quantity of, of demand that's coming into the marketplace. So one of the interesting stats that came through in the census was that the number of, of renter households in Toronto that earn $100,000 or more a year has basically doubled in the last 10 years and represented like 90% of the overall net renter household formation that's occurred in the city during the last decade. So basically what they're saying is that almost all of the net growth in renter household demand that's occurred in the last 10 years has come from higher income earning individuals. So these individuals by definition, are able to afford the average monthly rent. If the average monthly rent right now is about $2,800 a month in Toronto, 
if you're earning $100,000 a year, that's less than 30% of your gross income. So that's, that's, that's by definition affordable. But as rents continue to outstrip growth in income, obviously this, this begins to weigh on affordability. So I think we're, we're starting to reach those resistance levels and particularly with you know, the economy expected to enter a slowdown into 2023, you know, I, I think it's, it's reasonable to assume that the, the more recent rates of rent inflation that we've been experiencing is going to taper off. One, because you know we're, we're not comparing ourselves to a pandemic-related decline in 2021 anymore, so the base effect isn't 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 as strong. And two, the moderation in growth coming from a reduction in affordability and and, and a slowdown in the economy. Generally, when the economy slows down, you do see you know a, a bit of a rise in vacancy and, and, and a bit of a a moderation in rent growth. So I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that to to happen again next year. Now, these increase in rents, you touched on growing incomes, we've touched on quality a little bit. How would you attribute the increase to rents? Is it lack of supply, competition, quality, growing incomes, or is it a combination of the four? It's a combination of all, but I think I think fundamentally, rental supply hasn't been anywhere near the level of rental demand in this country generally for the last 20 years. And now we're seeing what the, the impact of that is. You know, we build very few new purpose-built rentals in Toronto relative to, to the number of new renters that are, that are forming on an annual basis. Almost all of the new rental supply that comes in comes from, from condo rentals. What we've come to learn is that it's, it's been insufficient to satisfy demand. We need more traditional purpose-built rental to fill the gap. And we were actually seeing, prior to 2021, a, a pretty significant increase in new construction of purpose-built rentals, which was, which was very promising. You know, it wasn't going to impact the market overnight, but in time, as these units were, were, were being built, the expectation was that it was eventually going to help to promote affordability and, and, and create some balance within the marketplace. We had over 7,000 rental construction starts in the GTA last year, which isn't enough to satisfy uh, demand and that gap in, in supply, but it was, it was definitely a step in the right direction. But this year, in the year-to-date period uh, to Q3 2022, We've seen a more than 70% drop off in rental construction starts. And in fact, over the last two quarters, over the last six months, I think we've seen two, two rental projects start construction. There's been so many projects put on hold because of high construction costs, high development charges, HST, labor resource constraints, and the fact that rents aren't at a level today, even with the growth that we've experienced, aren't at a level today that make it economically feasible to build. Virtually anywhere you look in the GTA, a builder needs at least $4 a square foot in rents today in order for the project to make sense. And this could be in, in Scarborough, it could be in York region or Durham region. It, it doesn't have to be written downtown Toronto because of where costs are. And there's just not a lot of projects out there that, that can work at this time. So I think there's, there's for the first time, not, not only a lot of recognition that we are building enough housing supply, but I think more attention being paid to, to rental as a form of, of rental supply or a form of housing supply in general that will help to eventually promote housing affordability, right? If, 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 if the average household income required to buy the average priced home in the GTA is, is, is around $200,000, you need to start building something where, you know, that average income required to, to get into the market is, is much lower. And, and for rental, that is the case. So rental is really the de facto new, new housing supply that, that's become affordable. Even at today's high, high market rates, 
definitely is a combination of a bunch of things. But I think if you if you looked at what's happening in terms of the, the trends for construction this year being down 70% plus, and then understand that the government is, is targeting 500,000 new immigrants by 2025, you can see where this is going, right? Supply is not going to keep pace with demand. And even if we do hit a little bit of a hiccup in 2023 because of you know a short-term slowdown in the economy, in a few years' time, the situation as it stands today is, is going to look even worse. So you're talking about the economy a lot, and I hate to throw out the R word, but recession is on the horizon. So that's both of you. In your opinion, what typically happens to the rental market during a recession? Do you believe we're heading down that same path with worsening conditions that you just touched on? Yeah, I mean, it depends who it's worsening for. <laughs> but to Sean's point, what we're seeing in terms of a drop in demand and perhaps price exhaustion and prices maybe not increasing at the rate that we saw through summer is probably relatively short term. It's probably the length of whatever economic downturn we do sustain. So if it's six-month recession or a one-year recession or a two-year recession, that's probably the length of the impact that perhaps there will be some heightened vacancy or price flattening in the rental market. But the long-term trend here isn't great for renters from a, a healthy market standpoint, especially given that you know we're building 70% less rental housing, purpose-built rental housing this year than we were last year, as Sean just mentioned. And, and we've got an immigration policy that's extremely aggressive. It's the most aggressive in Canadian history, targeting 500,000 new immigrants a year. So it's just simple math that long-term, once we begin a recovery, that we're going to have a supply-demand issue. Yeah, I, I agree with what Max just said. I think if you, if you look back over the last 30, 40 years of, of, of recessions, normally you would see vacancy rates rise by about a percentage point during those recessions. So it's, it's nothing major. And, and again, that sort of coincides with a, a rise in unemployment. I think the situation now is considerably different than in previous downturns in that not only are we are we starting this off with near record low unemployment you know around we're around 5% or so there's also a record level of job vacancies and i think that's going to it's going to provide some cushioning on the labor market and its impact on you know housing demand generally as we move through 2023 i don't think most employers plan on on laying off workers you know it's happened in some sectors to some degree but most are probably just going to freeze hiring. So, you know, the employment level still stays at a record high, but the unemployment rate rises because there's obviously more people coming into the city, more people coming into the country looking for work. But it doesn't necessarily lead to a, a, a reduction in overall housing demand. And this is happening, again, because of, you know, a couple of unique circumstances. One, we're targeting record high immigration and also the sharp reduction in homeownership affordability. You know, even if, even if you look back to the early 90s, which was a particularly deep and prolonged recession, vacancy rates in Toronto never rose above two and a half percent. Like they were still low. People weren't buying homes. Housing affordability was just as bad or nearly as bad as it, as it is right now. And people were looking for rental apartments and, and, and the vacancy rate reflected that. So I think that's something to, to understand as well, that we're a very, very undersupplied market. And even if some slack opens up because of a short-term dip in the economy, it's not going to have that much of an impact on the overall market. And, you know, if anything, it, it starts to slow down the supply chain, 
right? We, we've seen that happen very clearly with rental construction starts. We're seeing it happen with condo project delays as well. Projects aren't launching that were supposed to launch this year. And with fewer construction starts and fewer condo project launches, in four to five years' time, you're going to see a very, very sharp disruption in, 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 in new apartment deliveries. And that's going to be happening at the exact same time as, 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 as immigration reaches new heights. So I'm, I'm not too worried about a little bit of reprieve for the market in, in 2023. We are actually going to see a short-term jump in supply next year as well. So you know, we're, we're going to have quite a number of new rentals reaching occupancy. But more importantly, we're going to have about 30,000 condos reaching completion. So there, there is going to be more supply coming in and, and perhaps a bit of a leveling out in demand because of the economy. But again, I think Max and I both agree this, this is a short-term pause for the market and the long-term trajectory is still very much on an upward trend. Speaking of that short-term pause, I'm going to throw to you, Max. From a marketing perspective, what kind of advice would you give to property owners, developers, or other marketers, how they might prepare themselves for this short-term pause? Yeah, a lot of our clients and, and listeners do live more in the, the day-to-day and week-to-week cycle. Their professions are more dictated by, okay, how many leases were signed this week or how many leases were signed this month? And so it is important still to look to your overall marketing strategy and, and adapt it for this change that's occurring, lower demand. Interesting to hear from Sean that he's expecting sort of a, a supply blitz, call it, in, when was that, Sean? Spring, did you say? Well, we're expecting to see this sort of back up a bit. We, we have almost 100,000 condos under construction in the GTA. Traditionally, about half of those end up in the rental pool. So these would be pre-sale investors who buy and then uh, and then hold their properties at closing. So you know, with a higher level of completions next year, you can expect that there's going to be more you know investor-held rental units coming into the marketplace. It may not be to the same quantity as it has in the past, just because of high interest rates and high holding costs relative to rent levels. May not encourage as many investors to hang on to their properties for as long as they have. But um, nonetheless, I think we're we're still expecting to see a rise in, in supply. I wouldn't say it's a blitz. You know, we're, we're coming off of very low levels of supply to begin with. But I think for a little while, it's going to feel like there's more rental supply, but it's going to be short-lived. Yeah. So if, if there is that, that feeling while we're still in a downturn with lower demand, our client base and your average marketing manager for a property management company, landlord, rental housing company, it's probably got to go a little bit more back to the basics in terms of just exposure, ensuring that your property is everywhere, that you're chasing the most efficient lead sources in the market. So, of course, ILS advertising, your own website, digital. As we move out of that period into a recovery and once again into an extremely low supply environment, which arguably was sort of summer, you then kind of refocus on those strategies that are more around yield optimization and and getting the absolute most on every turnover that that does come available. Of course, that is sort of what has led to uh, sharper price increases in the market over the last year because that's where marketers are focused. With lower supply, leasing teams and marketing teams have the ability to 
push rents and increase the value of their ultimately of the of the real estate asset via pushing rents and using marketing as a tool to do that versus just fill vacancies. So that shift will come again, but right now we're a little bit more back to the basics and, and less around using marketing as a as a source to push rents. Definitely. Sean, I'm going to throw the same question to you, but as the economist in the room, from an economic financial standpoint, any advice to property owners, developers for the next few months? I would say that we probably can't be expected to see the same surprises to the upside on rents as we've seen in recent months. I've been shocked, quite frankly, at some of the rents that I've seen at at a few of the new rental projects that are coming up for occupancy. Like I, I did not expect to see, you know, rents getting in and around the five dollar square foot range in, in today's marketplace. I thought that was something that was perhaps going to come in a couple of years' time, but it seems like we brought we've brought forward some rent growth into the current period given given what's happening in the world. So I, I, I would say be a little bit more conservative in your expectations for, for where rents are, are going to be, you know, in the next six months, just because of how you know high they've arisen in, in the last several months. And again, we're kind of bringing forward some of that rent growth in, in, into today's market and borrowing it, I think, a bit from the future. I would say in the medium term, there's some important socioeconomic shifts that are happening that are going to create, I think, some changes in the rental market. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing the aging of the millennial generation into their family formation years. And I think for the first time, you're seeing that home ownership rates, you know, for those that are, you know, in the 30 to 40 range are falling below 50%. You know, most households that are forming families are, are renting. And, you know, they're going to need the type of rental supply that, that, that suits their needs. So, you know, more family-sized units, more rentals in, in, in community areas. We're also seeing more downsizers choosing to, 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 to rent. And, you know, these are obviously individuals that have higher incomes. They can afford larger suites. I think m- most of the resistance is going to come from the lower end of the market. You know, younger professionals, young adults that are getting their first job and having difficulty finding a rental unit that they can afford. But, you know, there's a segment of the, of the, of the population right now that is higher income and requiring an upgrade. In terms of their, their their rental situation, so realizing that you know demand is shifting into that sort of thirty to forty age bracket, and people are are looking to to start families, and they're not finding what they need in in terms of new supply by and large, because most of the the condo rentals are, are studios and one bedrooms. We we do tend to see a, a more diverse mix of of units within new purpose built rentals, but again, there's there's just not enough of them to satisfy that level of demand. So. I think there's some short-term changes in the market that are that are going to happen because of economic circumstances. But I think over the longer term, you know, the demographic outlook is is telling a, a very very interesting story about demand for for rental units across a, a variety of different sectors of the population. Well, we're just about to wrap up here. Thank you both so much for the time today. It's been very informative. We've touched on a, a lot of different aspects of the industry. Uh, I know we touched on a rental report earlier. Sean, why don't you tell the listeners where they can access the rental report and what they might be able to take away from it this month? The rental report will be on the rentals.ca website. So this is this is a, a bit of a change in the report in that we're amalgamating data from, from more than just the rentals.ca website alone. We're including some, some other websites that are part of the rentals.ca network. So it's a, a larger data set than it has in the past. That data is going to show similar trends to, to what we've been reporting for the last number of months, showing you know exceptionally strong rent growth. A lot of growth regionally across the country coming from areas that have been experiencing the largest amounts of population growth. This is the first time that, that we've, we've, we've written up the report. So it was interesting to, 
to get sort of a, a cross-country view of what's happening and step outside of, of, of just Toronto to see, you know, how fast rents are growing in Atlantic Canada, for instance. And if you if you look at population growth, these are sort of the, the, the provinces that have experienced the largest population inflows over the last couple of years. Ontario is, is still is still very strong, but, you know, you're also seeing very strong rent growth in Alberta as well. So Alberta is, is starting to take off in terms of its rental market. And then, you know, markets like Quebec are, are actually... Seeing, seeing rents start to slow down. So these are, these are markets you know, like Montreal that, that tend to build more rental supply and markets like Toronto and, and Atlantic Canada, BC as well, typically don't build anywhere near the level of per capita demand that, that is required. And so that's coming through very clearly in, in the rent inflation statistics. Awesome. So everyone make sure to go check out rentals.ca if you want to access that report. As Max mentioned earlier, the rent sink demand report will also be out at the time you're listening to this. And if anyone's looking for more information on the Urbanation RentSync partnership, make sure to check out both websites, follow us on social media for any future updates. We do have a landing page where you can subscribe to join our waiting list. That way you're first to get any new information. Again, Sean, Max, thank you so much for the time today. Yeah, and you can you can also just reach out to either your rep at Urbanation or your rep at, at RentSync and, and they can make sure that you're first to know when things go live, which many, many clients have been doing. So that's really exciting to see that looks like we're going to have a lot of subscribers right away. So yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks so much. No problem. Have a good day, everyone. You've reached the end of another episode of Sink or Swim. Make sure to visit us at rensync.com forward slash podcast to access show notes, key takeaways, and where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content. If you found value in the show, please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thanks for listening.